Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Well, I have never been that invited to anything in my entire life. Uh, that is absolutely amazing. What a, what a, what a delight to be here. Um, goodness, I love Seeds Church. I love your pastor. I meet with JD a lot, and it's interesting. I, I really appreciated what he said in the last thing in his announcement. Is he said, "I love you." And as I've hung out with J.D., uh, he loves you. I've seen him prepare uh, to serve you. I've seen him pray for you. And like when he talks about his church, it's with love. And it's such an incredible um, thing that you can feel the love here. He loves me. It's evident. Uh, And so what what a delight. What a delight to come here and share with with people that I love. So 16 years ago, I was at a, it was like a Wednesday night church service, and there was a missionary who spoke, and it was just one of those things, you know, you're going to church on Wednesday night, and the, the sermon happens, and you listen to the message, and he preached on a passage that's the same passage I'm going to share from in just a minute, and that message radically changed the course of my life. And it took a little while. It, it planted, the word was planted in my heart, but then it, it really brought me to some, some crucial decisions for where am I going to go, what am I going to do in my life. And the change that happened has deeply impacted me over the last 16 years. So I'm going to share that same passage that the missionary showed at the, at the Wednesday night service. And then I'm going to teach you the three main lessons that I've learned in the last 16 years. I've prepared for a lot of sermons. I've spoken a lot of places. But I can, I can honestly say this is the only sermon that I've ever prepared 16 years for. So I'm, I pray that what happened uh, to me also happens to some of you. And I'm also scared to death for you <laughs> because I know what that's meant in my life in the last 16 years. Uh, God, I just, your word says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And it's the same thing about a sermon, God. I can prepare, your word says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Uh, Jesus, I I can't say a single thing to move a heart if you don't say it kind of with me and through me. I want to abide in you as I share this message today. I want to be a vessel of grace. I want to send a wave of encouragement and delight to your people. And I pray, God, that you would use me as a vessel today to do that in Jesus' name. Jesus lived incredibly present. It's evident in the Gospels. The thing that I never see about Jesus in any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, he never hurried. It's like, Jesus, hurry up, come on. He's like, it's okay. But he also lived for eternity. 
They were like, Jesus, it's, you're famous in this town. Let's go. He's like, I've got other work to do. And at one moment, Jesus was giving a, he was in, he was at a festival that was Passover. And it was, it was like six days before Passover. And Jesus was in the temple. And there's a moment when something very significant happens. Directly after this moment, the children, uh, I mean, the disciples of Jesus, I guess that's the same thing, uh, ha- share the Last Supper, and Jesus washes their feet. But right before that, Jesus is at the temple, and all of a sudden, the Greeks come, and they, they talk to Philip, and Philip talks to Andrew, and Andrew says to Jesus, the Greeks are asking for you. And it's at that moment that Jesus says, it's now time. Jesus had spent his whole ministry reaching the Gentiles. And he'd spent three years, uh, or <laughs> I'm really messing up this morning. I keep giving my words. He spent three years reaching the Jews. And now the Gentiles are coming to Jesus. And now Jesus says, it's time. And this is the message that he gives at that moment. And this is the passage from John 12, 20 verse, uh, through 26. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me... The Father will honor him. Now, I've got a breakdown of this passage uh, in the next slide. And I want to just look at this, and it may be too small to read, but I'll, I'll, I'll read through it. The first thing that Jesus does when he's talking about going to the cross is he uses the illustration of a grain of wheat. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So here's the point. The full potential of a seed isn't realized unless it dies. I'm I'm a fan of an acorn. You take an acorn that I can put in my hand, it's like this big, and I plant it in the ground and it produces an oak tree that will grow 80 feet tall and 80 feet wide and will produce 15 million acorns. But there's always a first step. And that first step is it has to be planted in the soil, and it has to die. So in the next verse, Jesus talks about what does that death look like. And he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the point here is that 
The full potential of a human isn't realized until they die to personal ambition. Sixteen years ago, the missionary came to the church, and he was from the Philippines, and he had a handful of watermelon seeds. And so he's sitting around, he's talking, and he's eating watermelon seeds while he's talking. And he's like, it's cool. I'm from the Philippines. This is what we do. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, then I'm, and then myself and everybody else in the room is like, what the heck are you doing with the watermelon seed thing? So then he stops, and he says, okay, everybody. This is a watermelon seed. What's in a watermelon seed? And I'm like starting to think like back to biology days, you know, what's in a watermelon seed? That's a great question. And he's like saying to the adults, none of you are getting this. So he said to the kids, okay, all you kids, what's in a watermelon seed? So a kid jumped up in the back and he said, a watermelon. And he said, that's exactly right. And then he took the seed and he ate it. And he said, well, what's in it now? Nothing. So we took another watermelon seed. And he said, what's in this watermelon seed? And, you know, now the crowd is mumbling a watermelon, you know. <laughs> and, and he said, well, how many watermelons are in that watermelon seed? And we started to think about it. And if you think about it, one watermelon seed creates a watermelon that has like a thousand seeds that produces more watermelons. And there's an infinite amount of watermelons in a watermelon seed. And then he took it and he ate it and he said, well, what is in it now? Well, nothing. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, your life is like a watermelon seed. And you can take your life and every gift and talent and experience and opportunity and time and treasure, and you can consume it upon yourself. And for eternity, you end up with nothing. <laughs> or you can take that gift and talent and you can plant it in the soil of God's will. It took me quite a long time, and, and I'm still learning this. Did you know that God is smarter than me? <laughs> <laughs> But here's the hard one. He's also smarter than you. And if, if we think that our best life happens through our ambition, we're just wrong. Our ambition without submitting to the will of God is like a seed on a table. It's not going to produce any fruit. So... A grain of wheat isn't going to produce a harvest until it's planted in the soil. And a human isn't going to produce a harvest unless they're planted in the will of God. So then he breaks it down to the next level and he says, okay, what does this look like? What does it mean? You know, I, I don't recommend anybody diving into soil. <laughs> Uh, and so he breaks it down and he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. See, the thing about serving Jesus, you, you can't serve Jesus without following Jesus. But if you follow Jesus, you get his presence. I... It, when you, you know what you do when you preach? You tell people what you need to know the most. 
That's a secret. Preachers won't tell you that. Preachers are never preaching to you. <laughs> They're always preaching to themselves. So if I'm, ever, if I'm ever feeling like I don't feel the presence of God, I've got a real good question for myself. Am I following him or am I doing my own thing? And then finally, there's this unbelievable promise that says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If we think about this, this is sort of crazy. Jesus does all the work. He does all the leading. He died on the cross. He gave all the spiritual gifts. And then if we follow him, he honors us. This should be a little bit offensive to all of us. Wait a second. So many people are afraid of God because they, they, uh, they don't understand his character. Before Jesus went to the cross, he washed the disciples' feet. The promise that God makes for our life is to honor us. It's astounding. It's wrong. We should be uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with that. What? No, you, it's, it, 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 and it's right and good. You deserve the glory. Jesus, you deserve the glory. From you are all things. For you are all things. But the, but the problem with God, not the problem with God, the, the, the thing about Jesus is he does it his way. And he says, if you lay down your life for me, I'm going to honor you. I want to talk about eternity. One of my favorite quotes is from C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I, I was super excited when I got my iWatch. And then I got like the upgraded one so that it actually worked. <laughs> and it's waterproof. And now it has scratches all over it. But it's still cool. You know, it's an iWatch. This iWatch can't satisfy me for, for, for real because it's temporary. And I am eternal. I think sometimes we get, we get the idea that temporary things can satisfy us, like a house or the perfect job or the perfect bass guitar or the perfect whatever it is. But this is true. A temporal thing can't ever satisfy you. C.S. Lewis just nailed this. If we find angst in life, there's a good chance that we're seeking something temporary. 
I, I was teaching a, a group of youth one time about eternity, and I asked the question, like, how long is eternity? And so I was asking to see if I could get a good word for eternity. Like, how long is it? So I was like, throw out some answers. And so some of the youth said, you know, like a billion years. And some were like a million years. I was like, no. And then somebody said, a zillion years. And I thought, well, you know, that's getting a little closer. A zillion, a zillion, million, billion, zillion. But I think ultimately what we came up with is eternity is like a gobazillion years. Okay, so this is eternity. It's like, it's a gobazillion years long. So if I compare eternity with my life, with my you know, 80 years or 100 years or 117 years. Um, how long is that in light of eternity? It's just this little tiny breath. It's like the Bible says it's a vapor. But, but what we do with this impacts this. Let's think about this, okay? This, this little thing, impacts this. So when Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he says, whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life for my name's sake will keep it for life eternal. What he's saying is, for whatever you do, don't live for this. Live for this. You have a limited time to live for this. Don't waste it living for this. I'm, I don't live for this watch. It's not eternal. But Jesus is eternal. So I've been thinking about eternity. What is eternity? And I've, I've got it narrowed down to two things, which is sort of audacious. <laughs> but, uh, but it's two things. The first thing is it's a place. There's this scripture in Isaiah 45, 17, and it says, Israel shall be saved in the Lord, and with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. In, the, in my translation, it says, gabazillion years. It's neat in that verse, though, it also mentions another thing that eternity is, and this is the best definition. Eternity is a person. Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. John 17, 3 says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You know, what know, you know what eternal life is? It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing him. Actually, I mean, the verse kind of says that. It, <laughs> there it is. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
All right, so that's the message that the missionary shared. And so now I want to teach the lesson that I've learned the last 16 years. So here's the first point. Beware of arriving. I'm, a, I'm on my third career, and I have eight kids. And I always think, okay, now I'm done. <laughs> now I have arrived. With the children, I think we are done. We're going to have to, we'll have to see about that. My wife is, yes, we're done. We, you know. <laughs> um, at the end of my, in my, in my first career, I thought I arrived in 2004 because the article that I wrote was on the cover of the Nashville Bar Journal. I was a litigation specialist. I was flying all over the country working on $100 million lawsuits. I had lots of people working for me. I was like, in my field, I was an expert. And I was trying to be the best of the best of the best. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I've finally arrived. And Jesus said, oh, good. You're ready to start. I finally prepared you for what I've called you to do. See, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So then, my second career. I am going to be a missionary. So I spent seven years in 20 countries developing a, a Rolodex of knowledge about mission work and mission societies, and I have stories about Jesus moving and miracles. I've seen more miracles and, you know, I finally arrived. I was a missionary, you know? I could preach a faith message. I could preach a discipleship message. What do I need? I'm, I'm ready. And Jesus says, well, good. Now you're ready to start. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what do you want me to do? He's like, I want you to go back into business. <laughs> okay, you know what I do now? I'm a business consultant. There's only one thing you can do in the missionary world that will lose you all of your cred. It's become a business consultant. So I'm a faith missionary walking around telling people to give all their lives to Jesus. And then Jesus says, good, I want you to go be a business consultant. So the first lesson that I learned was um, beware of arriving. If you follow Jesus, you never arrive. Where you are right now should only be one thing, ready to follow. Don't get stuck. But if you're living for the arrival, like I was, in my first career, I was living for preeminence. I wanted to be the best of the best of the best. And then in my second career, I changed the scenery, but I was also living for preeminence. I wanted to be the best of the best of the best, this time a missionary. And what Jesus taught me is, all I want is your friendship. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. The, there's only one thing I want in life. I've arrived twice. And arriving in a career or in ministry or anything like that has no value. Hanging out with Jesus has all of the value in the world. It's true. Amen. Amen. Okay, my second point is find your ambition in the scriptures. It, it may just be that my name is Joshua, that I like this passage so much. It's in Joshua 1. But Joshua said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. I guess I got the King James on that. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. So this is, a, this is one verse in Joshua 1, verse 8. It's one verse. And the reason why that's important is because there's about 980 books on success out in the bookstore. And this verse kind of sums it up. And the reason why I know that about the books is I've read them all. (laughs) Um, If you want to have success, spend your face in the book. If you want success, spend time with Jesus in his word. If this verse is true, there's a lot of successful people that aren't actually successful. The success from Jesus comes from keeping your nose in the book. So if you, if you spend your time in the word of God, you know what success actually is. But if you feel like you have success and you haven't spent your time in the word of God, according to the word of God, what you're experiencing is not really success. Here's what, here's, what I was, here's what I've been guilty of, and still am guilty of. Remember the part you preach what you need to hear? I've been so worried about this success and not this success. But 10,000 years from now, I'm going to wish that I was really worried about this success and not this success. Keep your nose in the book. So there's a scripture verse that I read that was when I had my nose in the book was, uh, I guess that, that doesn't even make sense. When I read the Bible, that's what I meant by that analogy. Like, keep, you know, here's the Bible. I've got my, my nose in the book. Some people are like, what the heck is he talking about getting his nose in the book? Uh, James 3.17. I was at Five Points Starbucks and in Franklin, and I'm sitting there, and I got my coffee, and I'm reading James 1. 27, and it says, or James 3.17, rather, um, or maybe it is 1.27. I, hope, I don't know the, the scripture reference there, but, but the, it's, oh, I've got the wrong verse down there. This is another good verse. It's James 3.17, <laughs> but the verse that I was reading on the day <laughs> that, that God spoke to me was James 1.27, and <laughs> <laughs> James, James 1.27 says this, Pure religion and undefiled before our God and Father is this, to visit the orphan and the widow in, in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
So I'm reading that verse, and I said to God, God, okay, I want to follow you. What do you want me to do for widows? And God, he spoke very clear to me. He said, well, you're a photographer. Why don't you use that? So I went, I went back to my house, and I, I, uh, I talked to Sarah, and I said, hey, I want to give away photos to widows. So we printed out like a bunch of like foam core pictures that have a scripture verse on them, and we just started going out into nursing homes and giving out like hundreds of pictures to widows because I was a photographer. But that's what God told me to do. So I followed him. But as I was going along, he gave me another vision. Uh, and he gave me a vision to, like sometimes when you, when you follow God, you follow him in a direction, and then he gives you a specific. But you don't get to the specific if you don't walk in the direction. So the direction was go give the photos in nursing homes. But then... The specific is he gave me this vision for Picture the Nations, and uh, I'm going to show, I'm going to play this quick video about Picture the Nations and that, that ministry that, that God's called our family to. So, My name is Joshua McLeod, and I'm the founder of Picture the Nations. In 2005, it was my first missions trip out of the country, and so I was going to Ethiopia, and I was out taking pictures just all over the place. And... My, my thought was, I am going to be the best photographer in the universe. And I went out, and we were walking down the street, and I saw this lady. And she was just so interesting looking to me. And so I, I took a picture of this lady, and she started screaming at me. And I asked the guy, I said, what did she say? And he looked at me, and he said, that lady said, don't take my picture if you can't fix my poverty. I realized that I wasn't really there because I cared about that lady. I was there because I was thinking about how great of a photographer I could be. And I made a commitment that I would never take pictures unless they were serving people. So here I was traveling all over Africa, all over Asia, I'm taking pictures and I'm turning the camera around and I'm showing the picture and people were like, wow, that's so great, that's so valuable. And then I left and I felt like I was a little bit being selfish by having this great picture to remember the moment but leaving them with nothing. So I decided to start bringing along photo printers along with us on trips so that when I would take a picture of somebody I could print it out on the spot and give it right to them. I was in Azerbaijan and I had my photo printer and I was walking around and I was taking pictures and I was printing them out and I was giving them. There was this young girl, she was probably 16 or so and she had never had her picture made. So I backed up, I took the shot, I printed it out and I gave it to her. And she, she looked at the picture and then she looked at me and she said, I'm beautiful. And I was like, Yes, you are beautiful. That is exactly why I took that picture. And that's really the heart behind Picture the Nations. We want to show the beauty of people, people that don't see themselves as beautiful. A photographer can capture them in a beautiful way. The vision of Picture the Nations is very simple. Uh, we are going to create a coffee table picture book for every country in the world. And we are going to then sell those books to serve 
servants. We send money to missions agencies or organizations, relief agencies that are on the ground serving the people in a tangible way. Every picture that you buy at Picture the Nations will be used to serve people in that country where that person is. Hey, amen. So this is our Haiti book. And uh, what, we, what we did is we went all over Haiti and we were giving photos away and we were printing them out. And now we've, uh, we've printed these books, and what we're doing is we're, give, we're selling them for $27, and then we give $20 from each book sale to organizations that fight poverty in Haiti. So I think we've sent about like $8,500 so far from selling books, but my goal is to, is to send a million. And then I thought, you know, if we could do this in Haiti, we could do this in every country in the world. So one of my life goals for the next 20 years is I want to do a book like this for every country in the world, and I want to send $100 million to global missions. That sounds like much fruit. <laughs> um, but it's already been successful. One of the things that I've learned about doing stuff for Jesus is it's successful with one. Even if it multiplies, it's still successful with one. So Jesus like fed the 5,000, but every person that he talked to, he fed them. He loved them. He served them. So I, I'm incredibly grateful to God for giving this to me, to do, the responsibility for it, to walk it out. Because... Right now, there's a country called Haiti that is full of beautiful people. And now they have something out there in the world that is representing their country by the beauty of their people instead of the stigma of their poverty. That, that to me, is what life is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. You know, I, I mentioned JD, love, love is what it's all about. So at that same time in Starbucks, in James 1.27, I asked God, well, okay, you gave me something for widows. What do you want me to do for orphans? And while I was praying... I saw in my mind the picture of a kid that I had met, a young man, and I actually took his picture. So I was in, um, I was in Malawi, and I had just toured a prison, and it was, it was like, it was horrible. And I was at a refugee camp where the kids had like pieces of clothes. It wasn't like a shirt and pants, it was like half a shirt. And then we went to this AIDS orphanage. And there was no electricity. It was hot. It was uncomfortable. And we're like, we're like on parade, you know? So here's the missionaries, and we're coming out, and we're going to go like stand in front of the kids, and they're going to stand at us like, well, that's awkward. And we're going to stand there and be like, this is awkward, <laughs> you know? 
Um, and then this kid came in, and he started playing that thing, that gas can and the block of wood, and he radically changed the atmosphere. And I realized something. I realized that people who live in great poverty, they really need beautiful things. You know, if I'm going to reach out of poverty, if I'm going to take steps to climb out of poverty, if I'm going to put forth the inertia that it will take to change a curse in a society, I have to be inspired. And I realized with this kid that he was doing that. He was bringing inspiration in an impoverished environment. So I was sitting at Starbucks, and I was saying, what do you want me to do for orphans? And God said, give them an instrument. So I went back to my bonus room, and I had three guitars sitting there. One of them was really nice, and then there were two that were pretty good. And so I said to God, like, you know, which one? <laughs> and God said, give them your best. If you're an artist... I want to encourage you, give them your best. Use that art for this. Don't use it for this. So my sister found out that uh, I gave a guitar. And uh, this is a wonderful picture because there's that same kid with my guitar. So she did like a yard sale or something like that. And that started kind of like the snowball rolling. And so now, go ahead to that. <laughs> now, we've given out like more than 400 instruments in 50 countries. I, I could not have imagined the impact of one, one little death of giving just one instrument would create so much fruit for eternity. One of those instruments was delivered by JD. And so I want to show you what it looks like when a musician in the developing world receives an instrument. So I got another quick video.
I get I get pictures in my inbox like it's got to the point now where we we give away like every three days somebody in the developing world receives an instrument. This this past month we've sent twenty three instruments out. Um, and I don't do anything anymore. I just I just started the thing, and now I've got Andrea that runs around and uh, makes it happen. But w- where we're at now is if you give us two hundred dollars, then we go buy a three to five hundred dollar instrument, which is, doesn't really add up math, but it actually happens. Uh, and then we get it shipped out, and we send you back a picture of the person who received your gift. Um, so yeah, it's super cool. Uh, and so I've got my lovely daughters, Hannah and Rebecca, are out at the booth. If you guys want to buy a Haiti book or sponsor, send some money towards an instrument, we take money. <laughs> uh, but we give it all away. Uh, it's not my money. It's God's money. So the third point, um, the third point that I've learned in 16 years of doing this is... Um, it's all about relationships. And as I, as I tried to think of what I should say about this, I know this is the point, but it was hard for me to actually come up with what do I say about that because it's hard for me to do. I'm the kind of person that it's a lot easier to just go win than to take time and actually love. So then I realized what I should say. The first step of building a relationship is just to be honest. You want to know what my prayer life looks like? Dear God... I don't really feel like preaching. <laughs> I don't really feel like doing this. I don't want to keep going here. And I know I should feel different, but I don't. So what the heck is wrong with me? That's my prayer life. <laughs> and then God says, well, why do you feel that way? And then I start thinking about it. Yeah, why do I feel that way? <laughs> so that's the second point about building relationships. Ask a lot of questions. When I started ministry, I wanted to tell everybody what God was doing and how this was going, and I just wanted to go and go and tell and tell and show. I I was show and tell. I was like kindergarten every day. (laughs) And, uh, And Jesus has taught me, if you want to build a relationship, be honest. You know, you sit down with somebody that's intimidating, say, I got to tell you, you're a little intimidating. (laughs) And then ask a lot of questions. Christianity is not easy. And anybody that tells you that it is, is wrong. Christianity doesn't start with success. Christianity starts with a dead seed in the ground. It was like that for Jesus, and it's like that for us. 
but I believe and I understand that if a seed goes in the ground and, and a person stops living for their own ambition or their own desires or their own dreams or their own temporary things, and they start living for the kingdom of heaven and the king of kings who is enthroned forever, that you'll bear much fruit and the Father will honor you. The message title for this, um, for this uh, sermon was Following Eternity, which is kind of a paradox, actually. <laughs> Because how can you come at the end of eternity? It, it goes on forever. But it makes sense if I'm talking about Jesus, following Jesus and following eternity. But I was out this morning reading through my sermon, thinking about what I was going to say at the end. And God said, you know what the real title of this sermon is? It's how to plant a seed. And then I went... I'm preaching this at Seeds Church. <laughs> and I realized this is, this is given my testimony, but I believe it's also a message for this church. This is a church full of seeds. And if you will plant yourself in the will of God, he will do far more abundant than you could ever ask or think. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that that would be the case. I pray, Jesus, that you would open up hearts. I pray that every, every piece of every life in my own and every member here, God, that's not, that's not bent towards eternity, that's not focused on relationship, that's not willing to follow, would just fall away, God. I thank you that you are not a, a grumpy God, but you're kind. I thank you that you're full of love. I thank you, Jesus, that you honor, you honor your will and you honor your word. And you honor those who follow you in your will and your way. I pray, God, that you would do that here. I pray, God, that you would bright. You would, you would bring a, a bright, shining glory of your presence in this place. But I pray that every heart here would be planted in the soil of your will for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.